Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the show. Vassis is here. Aloha. Uh, Rachel's here. Greetings. And later on, Tuppence Middleton will be here. Tell me about Tuppence, Rachel. Tuppence Middleton is an amazing actress. Now, you might have seen her on telly. You might have seen her in Downton Abbey. You might have seen her in War and Peace. Uh, you might have even seen her in Black Mirror. But now you can go and see her on the stage. She's got a great <laughs> new player that she is coming to tell us all about. You're so good. That was very good. Yeah. For so many reasons, which people don't ever need to know. Um, what can you tell me? Well, you know her from upstairs in... Um, I, I meant about War- something different. War- oh. Yeah. Well, I, what I can tell you is, yes. so Hugh Brasher has been on this yeah. morning. Uh-huh. He texted at, at like six o'clock this morning yeah. to say a massive thank you to you, Chris, and the team. Um helping set a world record. I mean, this is... I mean, I know Rachel had it in the news and I know we've mentioned it, but just the numbers. 578,374 applied in the ballot for a place in the 2024 TCS London Marathon. Karen, reading your text at the same time as mine. It's It's quite quite incredible. incredible. I I have sent via WhatsApp a YouTube clip that sums up what the day feels like. You got the same text, isn't no, it? No, he sent me the WhatsApp clip. It's I think the what the, the YouTube clip sums up what the day feels like, and you guys articulate it so well with your positivity and enthusiasm, and enthusiasm for, for running, running and, and everything, everything we, we do. do. Thank, Thank you. you. I have you got anything else? No, I've got I've got I've got an extra line in my no. I hope to be able to celebrate it with you over the weekend, yeah, because he's coming to see us, which is great. Uh, 500 so you know, the record is you know, the headlines are over half a million people entered the ballot, it's nearly 600,000. Mm. How many places are there? Uh, yeah, 50,000. Well, 40 odd, I think, isn't it? Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, nearly 50,000. So yeah. that's if you've got like a one in. One in 10, one in 12 yeah. now, one in 12 mm. chance. But it's brilliant, wow. isn't it? Some of them are from abroad yeah. and there are different rules for abroad and from the UK. Um, but there's that video that he was mentioning. There's a lovely video. We're going to Instagram it. And it's just about why people run marathons. This guy going, I thought it was about running. People who like running a long way. But actually, it's about so much more than that. And it's yes, just, so it's a guy who's 35 years old and he's just on the side of the road doing a little bit of filming. It's really lovely. What happened was um, in 2018, he went for a walk, this guy. So it's the London Marathon day and he usually stayed away from it because it was all busy and crazy for all these people who love running a long way. And then one day for the first time ever, he went for a walk a bit near the marathon and he sensed the joy, uh, the overwhelming overwhelmingly palpable joy of the crowd and then he started to see the expressions on their faces and the love that they were giving people that he then suddenly realised they didn't even know and then he thought oh it's not about the running it's about all this it's, the running is the catalyst for it but it's actually about all this and he made a video about that and now he's in love with the marathon it's a great video mm. I don't know why the guy, the guy he was just he just felt moved to make it and it's brilliant but congratulations to everyone because that is awesome and you know all the other people running this weekend we have the Thames path 100 running past our house and there's a guy said i you know i'll miss you this year handing out bananas on 
Marlow Bridge. I thought, why aren't you running it? And then his text went on to say he is running it. So I thought, well, why will he miss me? Because I'll be handing out bananas. He's now texted back to say, I thought you were away this weekend as well. Hence the Marlow Bridge Banana Man text. Hope to see you on the bridge then. In that case, on Saturday, Simon from Sittingbourne. Because Marlow Bridge is 42 miles into the run, 58 miles from the finish. It's a pretty decent effort this um we were going to go away but then we realized we couldn't really get childcare for a million children for five days mm. so so we're off anyway we put the time off any we're going to do different things and it's it's fortunate because the stars have aligned because as i said uh, yesterday and the day before that one of tasha's sisters mandy has had a baby She's the 10th um, baby from all the sibs. So we now are a 10-child crew wherever we go as four couples. Pretty impressive, I have to say. Yeah. You know, that's a small coach, isn't it? It's too big mm. for a minibus. <laughs> it's a small coach. Yes, it is. And I'm not joking. It is a small coach. And it will be a small coach. We will hire a small coach on many occasions in the future for us all to get wherever we need to go. But because little Darcy Ray, you know, she's now stolen the thunder. I mean, good luck to Charles and Camilla on Saturday because Darcy Ray is smashing it. Um, we, You know, we're around for that and all the focus on her anyway so it's it's all fortuitous it's all worked out rather well and also it means we're at home so we can host you on sunday excellent if you've only uh, just tuned into this or you listen to the podcast you will not know that vassos is on his way to yorkshire we've he's we're his waypoint we're his stop off we're just his sort of um aid station today uh, because he's going to yorkshire with Co- cocktail caroline he is child free for four nights He's too excited for his own good, yep. for mm-hmm. reasons I don't want to think about too nope. much. Makes me feel a bit weird. And um, he's, he, he has small hand luggage. You have a carry-on, a row, what is it? A, Just a little wheelie. Yeah, a, yeah, a wheelie. A wheelie. wheelie. He has a wheelie. Hand luggage and thing. in the wheelie is five pairs of footwear. He's taking five pairs of footwear to Yorkshire. And we've asked him why, because we thought, why is that? And do you know what? He doesn't know why, which suddenly is so unsurprising. He's taken footwear not to use. He's got a broken leg, so he can't run. So he's taking he's taking running shoes, quote unquote, that he hopes he won't use. Should we just take them out and keep them here? I don't know. I don't. I've no idea what to do with that. I don't know where that comes from in your head. You're taking running shoes that you hope not to use to prove something to yourself. Uh, no, no, no. It's just. It's, it's too. I didn't like the idea of not because I, I take running shoes wherever I go. It's and like I am Lewis, currently injured. It's like Lewis Hamilton sitting in the car yeah. on the grid at the Formula One, uh, at a Formula One, at a Grand mm. Prix, right, with um, an inflatable, uh, I don't know, uh, palm tree that he hopes he won't use during the Grand Prix. It's I'm, not required. Are you wearing running shoes? No, these are just knocking about. They they could be used for running, but I don't. Are you wear these for sort of knocking about general day wear? And Excuse I have... me, on cloud, don't describe any of their shoes. <laughs> as, as, shoes. As, as, they, they sort of do. Knocking. These are our no, knocking no, about no, style. No, there's no on-cloud no on super ad. By the way, they're very good at advertising and marketing. They're mm. super cool. So these, don't worry about these. Our other range are for, you know, sporting <laughs> prowess and major challenges, uh, but these are just for knocking about. Yeah, yeah they are. I think that's exactly how they describe these particular they? clouds. They're no. knocking about clouds. No, it's just getting ridiculous. No, no, they're double downing ju- on the ridiculousness. Uh, okay, they might call them um, active day wear or something like that, but they do, they're that's not running in the day. <laughs> the fact is, I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite bring by myself way, to would, not pack by the way, running they shoes. They would call them footwear, not day wear. I couldn't quite bring myself to not pack running shoes because it just upsets me to think that I'm not... Look, just having the running shoes there puts me a little bit closer to running even though I'm not going to run. All right, 
It's Star Wars Day today. Happy Star Wars Day, everyone. May the 4th be with you. Uh, I'm a May the 4th baby. I'm a Star Wars baby. And not only that, but like the movie itself, I was born in 1977. That's pretty cool, isn't yeah. it? I loved Star Wars as a kid. How could you love Star Wars as a kid? <laughs> you weren't you were old enough to be uh, a kid who loved Star Wars. But the date never had any fuss then. Now I'm 46. Uh, May the 4th be with you is the proper thing. It's great, says James in Isleworth. Well, have a great Star Wars day. Uh, we, ha- we have loads of cool stuff because we know um, CP- C-3PO. You are listening to the Chris Evans oh, Breakfast course. Show, where the Force will be with you. Oh. Chewbacca there. Um, Chewbacca, what kind of what kind of primate is Chewbacca? Do we know? Yeah, it, so the species is Wookiee, is that right? Okay. Wookiee. Okay. Have you heard about these killer monkeys? I heard what you said. It's unbelievable. So this is all about AI. It's, it, well, it's not all about AI, but it's, it's about the hierarchical structure of different communities and species, right? So, so there's us lot. You know, right. and we are time machines because we have a prefrontal cortex, which means we can we can travel into the future, you know, mentally, and nobody else can do that. Which is why we can plan for the future. So, your dog, your dog thinks you're a dog. Our dogs think we're dogs. You know that, do they? Yeah, our dogs think we're dogs. They just think we're really clever dogs. Yeah. They don't realise that we're not dogs. So they think we're the top dog. That's that's, that's what, the whole pack mentality. That's what the they doggies. think. Do they? That's. That explains a lot. But maybe not your dog. <laughs> dogs, they probably don't think that dog. of you. But they think, <laughs> most dogs think that of most people, right? And um, and then you get the community species. So dogs are community species. And but the thing, the interesting thing about monkeys is they they sit between a sort of pack mentality and a human prefrontal we can think about the future mentality so there's somewhere in the middle of course we 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 come from monkeys and they've 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 taken up revenge crimes against dogs because one dog killed one monkey and so the monkeys got together and went on a dog killing spree which just i mean it's not the it's not the most palatable way of proving something but they did do that and they 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 tracked down these two particular monkeys who'd taken it on themselves to get to 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 foist revenge on the canine world. Isn't that interesting? Where and when was this? There's a story. Well, I'll get to. I didn't mean to do it now, uh, but I'll do it later in okay. more depth. Fascinating, though, isn't it? Yeah. And no need to worry about AI until robots start to demand rights. Okay. That's the latest breaking okay. AI news. So and when will that be? Yeah. Not apparently <laughs> not <till> next week. <laughs> not for a hundred years. <laughs> But we're not quite sure. Yeah. Uh, Joe in Nairsborough. Yes. I love you, Vassals. My husband and I have just been away for five days in Cumbria and took eight different pairs of footwear between us. Enjoy Yorkshire, Vass. It's fabulous. Don't forget to visit Glorious Nairsborough. Vassals is going away for four nights, five days with Cocktail Caroline. They are child-free. He's far too excited for his own good. I think Caroline has other plans to what <laughs> Vassals is thinking. Uh, but he's taken five pairs of, of footwear uh, and he's got a very small bag. So it's just mostly footwear that he can't use because he's got a broken right leg. None of us understand what's going on. Uh, happy Star Wars Day. Daisy Ridley came to my work for a few years, uh, for, uh, work a few years ago, and we all have photos taken. As she left, she said bye to everyone, and I shouted out, may the force be with you. She rolled her eyes out loud, but it made me laugh. Nurse Lou <laughs> just finished nights and heading home. <laughs> I wonder what the most roly-eyed thing a celeb has been shouted Ooh. 
to, you know, in the street. Who who has got... You, I mean, you can't... If you've made your living out of it and it's paid for your mortgage, you should never roll your eyes anyway. But if you if you think, OK, well, we'll cut them... Some, these, these celebs, these overpaid public-facing celebs who then do tours demanding privacy. They do publicity tours demanding privacy. That's, a, that's always interesting. That was a very interesting South Park episode recently. It was about... Um, it was about a certain very well-known couple touring the world to demand privacy. <laughs> just interesting in itself. But I wonder what the most justified rolling of the eyes would be. You know, who... I mean, Esther Ransom for years, you know, yeah. she tripped up in the street. Or that, 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 don't worry, that's life, Esther. Yeah. You know, things like that. You'd have to have a really well-known catchphrase and you'd yes. have to be on telly when oh, most of the people were watching the same a channel. A really obvious so, one. Uh, what's, who, who said, just like that, just like that? Tommy Cooper. Yeah, but I mean, I bet that he was... didn't actually say it quite like that. Just like that, <laughs> it's getting worse. Have you ever turned up at a hotel without your wash bag? No. Don't forget your toothbrush. <laughs> People have said that actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have said that. Hi, Chris Fuss and Rachel. I always listen to your show on my way to work, but oh, you knew there's going to be a but there. But today I'm waiting with my big sister Wendy in the hotel lobby in Dubai and still listening to you. Hooray! Yeah! We're going for afternoon tea on level 125 at the Burj Khalifa. We're having an amazing time, even though it's 28 degrees here. All the love, Odette. I heard something really interesting about the Burj Khalifa last week. Is that the, that's the sort of, yeah. Tallest tall. building in the world. It's yeah. a mile high thing, isn't yeah. it? Um, calm down, Vassos. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> the raise of the eyebrows there. Oh, Caroline. Poor, poor Caroline. There's sweet Caroline and there's poor Caroline. That's poor sweet Caroline. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's a guy. So Alex Honnold, who's the, the best free climber in the world, the star of Free Solo and other amazing films. He was talking about um, um, a contemporary of his. He said because he says there are only five people who do what he does in the world. Uh, you know, climb up rope. You know, without ropes up these ridiculous. Um, uh, rock faces and he said that the best one before him and he named the guy and I can't remember the guy's name he said but he doesn't do it anymore because he had this terrible accident he fell off a cliff only 60 feet high but 60 feet high is the worst fall uh, because you're going to survive it well it's not actually because you do survive it but it's just so painful because it's high enough for mm. it to be horrible uh, so anyway over the years he, he People fixed him, very clever people fixed him. He did some rehab and then he still was addicted to free climbing, but he couldn't he couldn't move his shoulders in order to mm. do this sort of spontaneously spontaneous variety of moves that you have to deploy to get up a, a rock face, you know, climbing without ropes. But he could climb buildings because buildings ha have repetitive structures usually, and so he could figure out the movement that he would need from zero, ground zero, you know, pavement level, to six feet or 12 feet high, which was had no risk at all, because if he fell, he was a step down as opposed to a fall. And once he figured out that move, if the building was a modern building, then that was a repeated move, because all skyscrapers look the same, don't they? And so that's, so he's, he's one of the people that climb up, mount, up buildings and sometimes get arrested. Well, he used to get arrested. This is the point of the Burj Khalifa. He used to get arrested, and then... People who wanted publicity for their buildings paid him to climb them. And that's what he does yeah. now. So he's paid to climb buildings to give the buildings publicity by the people who own the buildings. So he doesn't get arrested anymore. And he climbed the Burj Khalifa. Cool. I'd quite like to. Do you remember the... the I think, we came in one morning. I think, I think he climbed the Burj Khalifa. There was yes. a guy climbing the Shah. Do you remember one morning? Yeah, he he, that wasn't him Felicia. because he definitely got arrested when he 
got to the top. Yeah, well, they mostly get arrested, but nothing usually happens to them. Quickly about the monkeys. Uh, so this is this is the difference between dogs. This is the bridge between dogs and humans. Monkeys are the bridge between dogs and humans and other species and humans. So they have a hierarchical community structure, as do dogs, but also they can organise themselves. So dogs are willing to, you know, to, to identify the top dog and there'll be a pack mentality... Okay, and you one dog will literally bark orders, but they can't really organize themselves in a future sense because dogs don't know that tomorrow exists. Monkeys do because you can prove that monkeys exist by by doing experiments with feeding them. So you can you can sort of you can vis, uh, uh, vicariously promise a monkey that it won't get any food today, but it will get food tomorrow and it will understand that there is a tomorrow. You can't do that with a dog. You can't do that with a dog. So that's that's there's a nuanced, subtle difference there. But it can explode into a massive difference because this is a, this is the story is fascinating. Enraged monkeys kill 250 dogs. And I won't I won't describe how because it's it's pretty horrific. Um out of revenge after pups killed one of their infant monkeys in India. So enraged monkeys have killed 250 dogs in an Indian district by doing something uh, unspeakable. Um, Panic-stricken residents have also come under attack. The horrific incidents have been reported in the villages of Magalon, uh, where 250 dogs are said to have been killed by rampaging primates in revenge for the killing of a baby monkey by dogs. That's extraordinary. It is is extraordinary, and then not when you think about it, but it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Mm. Isn't that interesting? It really is. I wonder where squirrels are because squirrels obviously think that there's tomorrow because they do their nuts, don't they? I don't think that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, that's a hibernation thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Don't know. I like that though. I like... Do they think it's? Do they know? Do they think it's a time thing or just a hunger thing or a survival thing? Do they are they aware of tomorrow? Or do they think their life's just one big day? Yeah. <laughs> don't know. Lots of naps. I like it though. So dogs were attacked by monkeys because the dogs attacked a baby monkey and monkeys are aware that there's a tomorrow. Squirrels, it seems, might also be aware that there's a tomorrow because squirrels have been known to gang up and attack much larger animals. And there's a film where a load of squirrels gang up and attack and kill a Rottweiler. Yeah, but is that in revenge, though? The the point about the monkeys is it was in revenge. So, like, what, what a lot of species do is they are able to react and respond to the situation around them at the time. The thing about the monkeys and the dogs is that it was premeditated, which is different. Mm. It's pre- they've gone on a spree to, to, in an act of revenge for the pups killing the baby monkey. They've gone and then killed 250 dogs. And they, they also figured out different ways of terrorising the dogs uh, because of how they went about dispatching them. I mean, it's... You know, they dragged them up trees and threw them out of the trees and things like that. It's pretty horrific, you know, pretty like, don't you know, you, you want to do that again? OK, here's what we can do. It was really sort of calculated, thoughtful, if you if you like. And now the squirrels going up on the Rottweiler. Great story, but I think a different kind of story. It might well be a different kind of story. Did they kill the Rottweiler? Yes, a big stray dog was nosing around the trees and barking at squirrels hiding in branches overhead when a number of them suddenly descended and attacked. Yeah, no, so... so in, by the way, fascinating again, mm. you know, that would be more uh, monkey-like if they'd have waited till tomorrow. So, look, we're going to get that dog. But when that dog's least expecting it, as opposed to right now. That's a reaction, isn't it? Yeah. That's interesting. 
Uh, Chris says, uh, surely, the, surely the worst catchphrase um, to have follow you is run, Forrest, run. Poor old Tom Hanks, <laughs> says Richard in <laughs> Cambridgeshire. over it. Yeah, I don't think that happens a lot to him. This one I've heard before, Jeff in Taunton, Richard Wilson from One Foot in the Grave uh, famously <laughs> stayed in for years because he couldn't stand people shouting, I don't believe it! Because <laughs> all, yeah. yeah. all you would have to do is appear for you to mm. be able to say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You wouldn't have to do anything. <laughs> oh, it's, it's Richard Wilson, I don't believe it! I don't believe it's Richard Wilson. Yeah, that's that painful. Was, how that massive painful. was that show? It was huge, wasn't it? One Foot in the Grave. How many people behind the glass, the bright young things that work on the show, remember One Foot in the Grave? So Mira does, so Mira's early 30s. Will does, mid-20s. Oh, so, oh, that's interesting. Will remembers one foot in the grave from Father Ted. Which he's also too young for. Yeah, explain that, Will. He doesn't care about anything today. He's going, he's going to Liverpool to watch Eurovision. Ah, are you working or are you just going to the gigs? Working. See, that's the thing, that's isn't it? That's the dream. That's the dream. I'm getting, working. Getting paid to go and witness things that you mm. love anyway, like the Centre Court men's final at Wimbledon, yeah. for example, which you've done loads of times. It's, it's fantastic. And actually, you mentioned that, and that's, the, I think, the best view in world sport is from the commentary box just behind the server's arm on Centre Court. You really get a sense of the psychological yeah. as well as physical battle Especially there. Especially if Roger Federer is serving with his back to you because he's got a lovely bum. He does. Yeah, <laughs> which improves the view. Hi, Chris, the team. I texted in last week saying I entered the ballot for the marathon after being inspired by you. I was in my local pub celebrating a friend's 52nd birthday on Sunday. Where's this going? And someone said that they'd heard me on the radio and would be happy to guarantee me a charity place. (laughs) (laughs) Says Digby from Midhurst. My fears have come true and I'm doing it in reality. I cannot wait. Have a wonderful Thursday. That's good, isn't it? Brilliant. The ballot for the London Marathon achieved a record entry this year. Over half a million, close to 600,000. 578,000 people entered and lovely Hugh Bracious sent us a text this morning each uh, to say thank you for whatever we did. I wonder how many we we were responsible. It's not about us, but I wonder how many we were responsible for. If we nudged it over the record or not. Oh, yeah. You think we did? Yeah, I think we did. I'm going to say we were responsible (laughs) for about half. Half. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Modest. By the way, Vassar's put his hand up there. I wish you could see what he just did. Half. Hi, Chris. Uh, Tony Christie lives near uh, us, and every time we walk past his window and he's in the living room, we say, Is this the way to Amarillo? Oh, nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> nightmare. That might be actionable. Yeah. <laughs> that might be Asbo territory. That's not fair, is it? No. At all? No, and he's inside his house. Out of interest, where is Amarillo? Amarillo, <laughs> not Amarillo. New Mexico. Is it? Well, I guess, I guess. Why did somebody I'm, want to know guess. the way there? Yeah. <laughs> It's in Texas, by the way. <laughs> is this the way to Amarillo? Why, who's asking? Yeah. Why do you want to know? Britain's oldest dog walker still going strong at 104. This is a great story. This is sort of... This is... It's not the opposite of another story about an older lady, but it, it is... It is... It's not the same. Yeah, it's not Br- the same. Do you know the story I'm talking I, about? Yes, it's on top of my pile. <laughs> it's funny. I wonder what you'd think about that. Britain's oldest dog walker still going strong at 104. 104-year-old Sally Field has been caring for abandoned and mistreated dogs at her local rescue centre for 42 years. So she started doing this when she was 62. Oh, wow. So she embarked upon it, forgive the pun, um, you know, early in her 60s. And I'll I'll do this into my retirement. 
little did she know, surely, that she'd still be doing it at 104. She's got a picture here with Paul O'Grady, bless him. Because um, they met via their mutual love of dogs. She helps out at the RSPCA's Millbrook Animal Centre in Chobham in Surrey by walking 10 of its dogs twice a week, as well as her neighbour's five dogs. Whoa. She's awesome. Yeah. She's awesome. That is the opposite of a story that I'll do at the end. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm glad everybody thinks the same, or I'm sensing that you think the same as I do about the story at the end. Record setting 500,000 runners apply for next year's London Marathon. It says here 500,000. It's actually 578,000. 500,000 would be a record. It smashed that, the ballot this year. 578,374 for next year's TCS London Marathon. You know, and approximately 520,000 of those will be mightily relieved when they find out they're not, <laughs> they didn't make it. Because I wonder how many people are thinking, oh, wow, I'm in now, in it to win it. Yeah. They do say, you know, if you if you say something out loud to other people that you want to achieve, it makes you more accountable and therefore it makes it more likely to happen. That's not the case. It's scientifically been proven that if you say something out loud that you intend to do, it reduces the chances of you doing it because you have a similar dopamine hit because of the reaction and response to the people around you who are, you know, slightly or mightily impressed by the fact you're going to do this. That's the hit you would get if you achieve it and therefore it tricks your brain into thinking you've already sort of done it. Oh, that does make sense. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. So it's it's interesting. You, it's important to give your thoughts oxygen because you don't really know what you think until you say them out loud or you journal them, which is why there's this thing called morning pages that's a big deal. I don't do it, but it's only because we get up so early in the morning and we come to work. But morning pages is this... I can't remember who came up with it. It may have been Brené Brown or someone like that. Um, you, you, you Basically, you journal three pages of words every morning when you wake up. So you you, do, you know while she's still in bed or over a, morning, a cup of coffee. Rich Roll does it. He was on the show. He does morning pages every day, and you just write three three pages of A4. You just write down what you're thinking, what's on your mind. It can be the same three pages as you wrote yesterday, but it articulates what you're thinking and it frees that space because you re- literally let that out. And it's funny because three pages of morning pages uh, frees like ninety eight percent of your capacity to wow. to to mull over things there's it's it frees up a lot more than you think it might but um stating your intentions out to other people can reduce the chance of them happening it's like the opposite of sort of manifesting it is it is yeah. it's really it's really interesting woman manages to sneak 22 snakes on a plane packed in her luggage it was nothing like the movie she's been arrested the snakes <laughs> seem to have um they're okay because the flight was on its way to chennai in fact, this all happened at Chennai International Airport, which apparently is responsible, or the, the, not responsible, but it's the place where a third of the planet, of our planet's um, illegal trafficking of exotic animals takes place. Wow. That terrifies me on many levels, that story. Mostly that somebody would try and sneak snakes on a plane. Bradley Walsh and some Barney team up to host Gladiators Reboot. Bradley, are ready? I love Gladiators. <laughs> Barney, are ready? Didn't, didn't Bradley's wife the direct gladiators i think she was in charge if this is true this is impressive knowledge i think bradley's wife directed the original gladiators gladiators has been an integral part of the walsh family with donna walsh bradley's wife and barney's mother previously being the head choreographer for the gladiator cheerleaders on the original series i think we all need to take a moment for vassos 
But it was wrong. No, but it was nearly right, <laughs> and that's enough. good enough for me. Chris, yeah, it was yeah. close enough. For me, that was right. I'll take it. Yeah. Graham Norton describes Ireland entry as little dark horses of Eurovision. Graham Norton has tipped Ireland's Eurovision entry Wild Youth to do well in the song contest in Liverpool, praising the group's good anthemic song. Next week sees, I think, more Eurovision frenzy than certainly the UK's ever seen before. Maybe the competition. I don't know why. It's just, it's maybe it's because Ukraine won it last year, you know, and Sam Ryder's hit seems to be evergreen and he's such a popular, likeable person. Uh, Liverpool, of course, home of the Beatles. Uh, in many ways, home of rock and roll being transported from America to Europe. You know, it was the gateway um, to Europe for the emergence of rock and roll. I don't know. It's cool. It's after the coronation. You're going to get that that post-coronation heat anyway. We've got yep. a sort of party mm. atmosphere going on. I'm very excited about Eurovision. We haven't had a Eurovision party, I don't think, since we've had kids. I think we're going to have one next weekend. Do it. Um, by the way, is Graham right about this? Graham Norton describes Ireland entry as little dark horses of Eurovision. We've heard this, uh, the tune or a bit of it. What do you think? We think he's right. We might be different. We might I mean, this is OK. This bit's OK. But listen to where they go. Oh, this is going to win. Having not heard any of the other entries apart from ours, which I don't think is going to win, by the way. What are they saying about ours? Are they saying mid-table? Are they saying top few? Because everyone was saying, oh, Sam Ryder's got a great chance, yeah, sort I, of this time last year. Yeah. I don't know what they're saying about ours, but if you want to know everything to do with Eurovision, mm -hmm. ahead of Eurovision, this weekend on Graham Norton's radio show, and Graham Norton only does a radio show on Virgin Radio UK on Saturdays and Sunday mornings, half past nine. This weekend, with our very own Graham Norton, Sam Ryder's going to be with him, and they're going to tell you everything about Eurovision. That is, it's possible to know one week ahead of Eurovision. Sam Ryder on the show, um, on Graham Norton's show this weekend, on Virgin Radio. I mean, come on, that's a must-listen, isn't it? Kate Bush and George Michael inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This happens um, every year, of course, over in the US. Big year for ladies this year, Cindy Lauper, um, and also Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan, uh, being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Lots of amazing performances. They don't know if Kate Bush is going to turn up or not. Usually, um, people who are still with us do. Um, obviously, if they're no longer with us, they that's not that's an impossibility. But usually, if people do turn up, they then perform. Now, Kate Bush hasn't been seen since that surprise run of shows she did. Do you remember at the uh, Hammersmith Apollo? Do you remember that? She did these amazing shows. She released this album and Mira went and um, she literally hadn't been seen outside of, of, of front gates for years. Then this album comes from nowhere. Everybody says, oh my goodness me, we've all forgotten how amazing Kate Bush was. So she 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 does this string of performances and people say, some of the rustiest, dustiest, crustiest music critics Wanted to give her six stars, not mm. just the five, because it was so good. Uh, Mira went, it was off the charts, wasn't it? Ridiculous. Um, she may well turn up, who knows? The kids love Kate Bush, our teenagers, both of them, the boy and the girl, absolutely adore Kate Bush. Nice. Italian historian claims to have identified bridge in Mona Lisa backdrop. Apparently this is a big deal because it it seems to sort of um, point more towards the locale of whoever the Mona Lisa or Mona Lisa was, the Italian historian. Silvano Vincetti, 
It's very, very Italian name. Oh, Silvano Vincetti said he had no doubt that the Romito di Laterina Bridge in the province of Arezzo was what Leonardo had painted into the countryside landscape behind the enigmatic Mona Lisa, which would end a mystery that has fueled countless disputes over the years. I always find it interesting that in often in articles to do with Da Vinci, um, they refer to him as Leonardo. Do you know what I mean? Because he's Da Vinci, isn't he? Yeah. But yeah. They, they sort of defer to the Christian name as opposed to the surname. And that's just cool. <laughs> no, you think so? Leonardo. Was there, a, was there a football player who was just Leonardo? I don't a few know. years ago, and he wasn't quite good enough to do that. You've been watching too much Ted Lasso. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I might Zava. <laughs> I like Zava. I love Zava. Yeah. By the way, how fit does Zava look? Mm. How do you think the lady in the care home would have reacted if Zava had been part of that troop that she 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 wished for? I don't know. I've lost the story. Maybe that's fate. Oh no, it's here again. Care home helps woman, ninety-two, fulfil dream of watching a male striptease show. <laughs> <laughs> Cheeky Careham resident Betty Richardson has defied all expectations by fulfilling a lifelong ambition of watching a male strip tea show. The 92 year old lives at Sway Place in Sway, Hampshire, and her wish was granted when a wishing tree was installed to allow residents to put forward ideas they want to explore. Staff were surprised when they heard her wish. Because, you know, wishing tree residents home, you think, I don't know. You wouldn't instantly think um, Magic Mike and the Dream Boys, would you, really? <laughs> I think this is funny. Do you two disapprove? I think it's sweet and a bit weird. That's what. That's that's how I'm framing it. How would you describe your response to this story? If she wanted to go to the theatre, it wouldn't be in the news. She joined her friends for a show at Bournemouth Pavilion to watch Dream Boys. Well, I'm not going to forget that in a hurry. <laughs> she said, was that a dream or was I really there? <laughs> what do you think, Mira? Mira says she knew she was there and she clearly loved it. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Vass and I continue to be D-Mob happy, far too D-Mob happy for our own good. <laughs> you more than I because you're, you're embarking on this child-free weekend <laughs> with Cocktail Caroline your beautiful wife. Yeah, so there are various incarnations of my wife. There's mum Caroline, there's wife Caroline, there's art specialist Caroline, netball Caroline, uh, and then there's cocktail Caroline, who only really comes out to play when we're away without the kids. He's <laughs> so excited! <laughs> are you going to pace yourself? Nope! <laughs> All right, you can hear extra giggling from our <laughs> special guest today. Vassas, who might that be? You know her from upstairs in War and Peace, downstairs in Downton Abbey and all over the place at Clifton Hill. She's now back on stage at the National Theatre starring as Elizabeth Taylor in The Motive and The Cue until July. So let's all give it uppence for Tuppence Middleton! Yeah! <laughs> Tuppence is back in the house. Tuppence, we love having you on the show. Thanks for coming to see us again. Oh, thanks for having me again. Um, so you were, you went straight in there, didn't you? You said, well, you're going for a dirty weekend then. Well, yeah, I said naughty. Sorry, actually. naughty weekend. Yeah, yeah, naughty weekend. I was just too 
too shy to say that, but you 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 cottoned on pretty quick. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear more about cocktail. Actually, also <laughs> netball, Caroline. I'm I'm interested in. That sounds netball. Good. She she's she starts she started some netball groups locally because there wasn't any after school sporting provision for girls about 15 years ago, and it's sort of grown a bit. Oh, good for her. So there's quite a few netball Carolines around the country now. <laughs> and she's sort of a potential menopause millionaire-esque, Caroline. Yes, yeah. She's What's this also, about? That's, um, she's doing some menopause retreats. So they're like loads of, loads of information, loads of help, loads of dinner for people who are, you know, starting to go through the perimenopause or the menopause. So there'll be like weekends with like gurus and doctors and all sorts of people. And that's that's her next thing. She's not really happy until she's got at least sort of 17 balls in the air. Yeah. And then and if she's got 17, then 18 is the right number of balls. Yeah. Which, which number ball are you? Oh, I don't know if I count as one of the balls. <laughs> <laughs> this weekend, you'll be the only ball yeah. in the air. <laughs> Sorry, Tuppence. Uh, just lean in a bit to your microphone if you don't mind. Thank you so much. So the motive and the cue, this sounds fantastic. Um, what is it? Where did it come from? Who's in it? How's it going? Oh, wow. So many questions. So um, it's a new play by Jack Thorne, the brilliant Jack Thorne. Everything he writes sort of turns to gold. Um, directed by Sam Mendes. Um, it's about uh, the 1964 production of Hamlet, when John Gilgood directed Richard Burton, who was at the time one of the biggest stars on the planet and had just married Elizabeth Taylor. And there, there are several accounts of this. What? I know. John Gilgood yeah. directing Richard Burton, who just married Elizabeth Taylor. Yes. <laughs> and we think we're rocking. I know, I know. We're pathetic, aren't we? And it's it's such a... It, it, it's a really interesting story because there's there's two books written about this particular production because it was so fraught and there was a it was kind of the clash of the titans these you know huge theatrical personalities who who kind of couldn't really find their rhythm together at first and then eventually came together and and created something quite special which which ran for um I think a record number of performances on Broadway and and was a huge success for Richard Burton, but the process of getting there was um, very tumultuous. But I mean, you know, it still happens, doesn't it? And you, you've been part of these kind of productions, but you know, you must, oh, you must see Burton on before he disappears from Broadway. Yeah. You know, it's like seeing the Beatles in the cavern or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it's amazing the amount of people already that have come out of the woodwork as, as we've been doing this play that, have you know told me? Oh, I I directed Elizabeth Taylor. I I saw Richard Burton in this production. It's amazing the you know the the stories people have about that and, time. You know, and the stories go. You know, I used to be a very good friend of Ronnie Fraser, who's no longer with us. But Ronnie was part of that gang. You know, with Peter O'Toole, who I met a few times via Ronnie. Went out for lunch with him a couple of times. I mean, you know, fascinating people. Yeah, and you think. You know, but did they really tear it up like legend has it and then be able to do this stuff on stage? Answer, yes. Yes, absolutely. But then also, I mean, Richard Burton, he died at 58. I mean, he, you know, he had a huge problem with alcohol. And, and I think really Elizabeth Taylor did too, but she somehow processed it a little bit better in her body and, and she sort of survived against the odds a lot longer than he did. But... Yeah, they really, they, they burned the candle at both ends. They burned the candle at both ends. And I know, that obviously, you know, his, his life was curtailed because of it. However, whilst, you know, whilst doing the things they did, especially after work, because they used to go mm. to the West, I've been to those clubs because those clubs still existed when I went out with Ronnie, who was part of their gang back in the day. You know, he, he took me to those clubs 
um, there's acting clubs. Yeah. And there are still a few, actually. You yeah. Know, not like the Groucho, the glam- more glamorous ones, even though that people do go there after they, they finish work in the West End. But, the, you know, the ones that usually uh, you, you, you get to by going downstairs and yeah. knocking on a door, they're not illegal. They're just quite, they're quite, I don't know, they're quite hard to find. I suppose they're supposed to be hard to find because these yeah. people didn't want to be bothered. But to do all that and then go on stage for like two and a half hours, three hours, you know, whether it's, is it was in this play or was it Hamlet or something else or mm. The Long, The Short and The Tall. The Long, The Short and The Tall was a, a, a play that my friend Ronnie was in with O'Toole and Richard Harris in, in, back in, in, in the day. And for the first few weeks, they were quite well behaved, mm. right? But then it was it became a, a hit because they were really good at what they did. Yeah. And then the main problem with the production was it just got longer and longer and longer. <laughs> and in the end, it was too late for people to get the tube home. Yeah. Because they were so relaxed, should we say. Yeah. Well, that's actually, there is a line in our play about the fact that um, O'Toole did the full text of Hamlet and... You know, uh, Burton says if if uh, a Londoner doesn't have a private car, then he has to get the eleven twenty underground home, or he spends the night with friends. Like that was, you know, that that was part of this this whole uh, kind of mad time, and you know, to 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 this sort of legend around doing Hamlet, and they were all so competitive with each other because mm. it was, you know, for for Burton, he was someone who was hugely famous in the film world, but also in in the theatre, and I think he kind of could dance between both and. But still felt he was he wasn't as respected as he wanted to be in the theatre, like you know, and and so therefore he he picked John Gilgood to um to direct him because he wanted to to learn from to him to help supercharge him. I suppose yeah. it's so funny, isn't it? Because there's that great story about Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton when they both were starring in I think it was Who Dares Wins, uh-huh, yeah, um, obviously a movie, and Eastwood gets the script and Burton gets the script and they've both got massive mutual respect for each other but also they are intensely um, paranoid about each other's presence together and so uh, Burton gets the script and immediately starts counting his words because it's it's all about how many words does his character have and Clint Eastwood immediately starts looking at the words of his character and starts to cross them out as many of as, he, as many of them as he can, because for him it's not about what you say; it's about how you look. And for Burton, it was about what you said, not how you looked. Yeah. And it was a meeting of of cultures. Yeah. And in the end, they started laughing about it. Yeah. And Clint said, "Don't worry, I want less words. I want fewer words." Yeah. And Burton said, "Well, don't worry, I want less camera time. It's fine. Oh, we're going to get on yeah. like a house on fire." <laughs> totally. I mean, it's there's so many potential ego clashes in in the characters in of our play and so it's it's interesting to watch those people navigate their way around each other and elizabeth is you know also a huge well probably the most famous actress in the world at the time yeah. and kind of gave up uh, multiple offers in order to be on broadway and support um richard while he did hamlet um after they just got married the first time so yeah, it was it was a big sacrifice for her. Yeah, I guess. because they they took their drama off stage and into their lives, didn't they? As yeah. well, it must have been exhausting to be them. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I they they were full throttle all the time, and I mean, when they first met on the set of Cleopatra, I think Elizabeth was twenty nine, and she already had three kids and four husbands. Oh um, and I, I mean, it's just the. <laughs> the 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 experience they're all you know they crammed so much into their lives and 
she was she was raised by the studio system in Hollywood. So that's a you know that your your whole personality is and your identity is based around that industry. It's, yeah, it's... and together, I mean, they were just they were literally the hottest couple, probably mod, the modern the human beings as a modern species has ever seen. Yeah, and still nobody to rival them. No, and it's also I mean it's so hard to to imagine now for us as we have such access to people's private lives, you know, celebrities' private lives. They were really the first kind of big celebrity couple and the word paparazzi was coined for them Didn't apparently yeah so great pub ammo yeah she never disappoints middleton <laughs> it's great come yeah. on tell us more about that well so um when they were filming cleopatra in rome fellini was also filming there and he watched this kind of swarm of uh, you know journalists and and people following them around and apparently the word for buzzing insect um, in Italian is paparazzo so he right. he called all these um, journalists paparazzi that they were following Didn't them around that. yeah that's so, a great so fact. that was the first time that that word was used about them because it was you know when they were when Richard was doing Hamlet there were thousands of people every night in the street I mean that would never happen now outside of a theater the roads were all closed down it was kind of <laughs> so, so, and of course, I suppose what you're saying there about them being the most famous, the first most famous sort of public facing couple in, you know, post postmodern age, post World mm. War Two, um, and the reason it was so magical for them is because. They, there still was mystery because there wasn't as much access as there is now. Yeah. And, you know, and the en enigmatic aspect of their togetherness. So we knew a bit, but we didn't know a lot. So therefore you then project what you want to, them to be yeah. onto them. Yeah. And, and I suppose the more you know about things now, the less room there is for a projection. And often when people are writing things, whether it's music or, or movies or plays like this, really clever writers who are really confident leave gaps for the audience to fill in themselves, don't they? Yeah. And that's, that's why we all have different opinions of production like this yeah and I think it's you know that was one of the challenges for for all of us and I suppose in particular um Johnny Mark and I who uh, you know plays um Gilgood Burton and, and me playing Taylor it was it's kind of finding that balance of not just doing an impression and and doing our version of what this character was like and you know you have access to so much source material on them and, and everyone has their version of who they think Elizabeth Taylor is so in the end you could disappoint everyone or you can thrill everyone and you just have to do <laughs> you know it's uh, no pressure <laughs> play, oh playing God. someone it like that. It sounds amazing it sounds yeah. really fascinating. So you've you've been you've you've been doing reviews previews rather. Yes. And you've had your first opening night. Yes. You're sorry, your opening night. Yes. Uh, how how what's the vibe? Well, how do you feel about this? Oh, I love it. It's I mean it's such fun to do, but it feels. How do you, how do you think it's going down? Yeah, I mean you we it's it's a, such a great response from the audience. You feel, I you know we're just hit with this kind of wall of love every time we go out for the curtain call and it's I think people are really responding to it and it's you know the play is so much about why we make theatre why we make art why we still go and you know sit in a room with a thousand other people and and watch oh, I love it yeah theater I love musicians. it yeah <laughs> I watched the I watched the first Muppet movie on Wednesday because my Tuesday because my family are all ill yeah. so we had an afternoon we declared a movie afternoon right. and the first Muppet movie was in 1979 it, it's miles better than any of the other Muppet movies yeah. but also what I love about it it's a movie about making movies yeah and this is a play about making plays exactly you know and it's the, the fact that you have this sort of triangulation of, of these rock and roll stars you know I mean yeah. it's giving me tingles just talking about it yeah I think it's um you know it will really appeal to people who love that era, love the theatre, but also I think 
even if you don't know anything about these characters, it's just really thrilling to watch the process of how you make a play. You're kind of let behind the scenes. You know, you get to see that process, which people don't often get to see. And I think it's, um, yeah, it will, I think, surprise people. And um, yeah, I, 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 th I think it's a really special play and I'm, I feel very lucky to be part of it. We talked about this um, to Ted Lasso's Jason Sudeikis last Friday, mm -hmm. about the fact that the reason Ted Lasso is so wonderfully... Um, uh, magical and successful and profound and uh, pervasive and penetrating is because the people he's got working with him are all so good they could carry a show on their own, but they've all chosen to be in the same show together, yeah. like the Beatles. Yeah, you know, and I th I feel the same about these three characters. You know, yeah. Taylor, she, you know, nobody could hold a light to her. Mm. You know, and then you get Burton, but Gilgood. The only person missing for me for me in this, and by the way, he wasn't part of the story, would be Noel Coward. You stick him in there as well. Oh my god! Well, okay. There's a little surprise for you then, if you um, if that, that's I want, amazing I want that you're a coward. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there maybe is a little because he of was hanging around at the time as well, you know. Wow. And while they're, they're doing this in one theatre, he's turning up. Um, you know, I can't remember the name of the play, but I remember specifically he was best friends with the Queen Mother and um queen elizabeth the queen mother and she, she he used to go to the theater with her to see one of his own plays and if it wasn't going very well he would go down and take over the second half himself he would yeah. take over the lead he would fire the lead actor and do and he said and it's in his diaries it's um, have you wow. read his diaries no oh you would love them yes I, i'm that's what i'm gonna go and do this weekend i mean but yeah there's there's some there's some no coward references and within the music so that's that's funny that and you Joe said Orton's that around the corner as well doing his stuff yeah and, I know. They're, uh, yeah, all, they're all meeting. Where would they meet? They'd meet downstairs at oh, which club would it be? Jerry's. Where's Jerry's bar? Yeah. You so, well, actually, oh. that was um, that Keith was Waterhouse? that was the would be there as well? the press night. Um, yeah, that's that's the place, isn't it? It's I once hung out with Keith Waterhouse, uh, Lucy and Freud, and Ronnie in Jerry's bar. You're what a legend. What you're one of the you're one of the big dogs. No, I was in the corner thinking I'd won a competition. I felt like a competition <laughs> winner. I was like, I didn't say a word. Or, I just sweat all night, worrying that I was going to say the wrong thing, knowing I wasn't going to say anything. But I was still worried I was going to say the wrong thing. Oh my goodness me, Tuppence. Um, so all cool, all good. Do, do you get sort of um, vicarious envy that you're not going to go out and, and paint the town red after each show like they might have done? Or do you yeah. feel... Come on, as part of your sort of, you know, in character. It's my process. You, um, you no, could... I mean, oh, I wish I had the stamina. They, they were really, um, I think, quite special yeah, the way they just, were built. Without, without saying things that you shouldn't. Yes. What, what is that? What is that action like nowadays? You know, post. Yeah. I, well, you... I feel like it's. Yeah, it's very, it's very careful and pe it's very professional. People, you know, that people don't go out drinking like they used to. I mean, there's. I think it's so much a part of making a play or making a film or anything like that is is the social and i think that people still do that absolutely and you know they'll um sit in the bar and have a kind of debrief afterwards but um i don't i don't think it's <laughs> still a debrief still, yeah. we still Always had inverted commas around the debrief quite like that but of course you know it was you know post-world war ii you know who knew cold war was still going on mm. so so that phrase you know we're here for a good time not a long time and mm. now it is different because we know careers are sustainable even in sport yeah so you are here maybe you can make a decision yeah. i'm here for a long time now and now and again a good time i suppose yeah. but you know you can't out party the party on stage no you which can't. is what they try to do isn't it yeah you know if you if you if you if you're getting your highs your proper chemical highs from being on stage yeah. and then you try and continue those off stage 
Good luck with that. Yeah, and <laughs> good luck pro- to you. That's the problem, isn't it? I yeah, suppose. yeah. I mean, well, it's we've really had such a fun time because it's so you know. I guess it's so sort of meta making making a play about a play, at, but the the nice thing is we haven't had the kind of um, very difficult process that they had it's just been no but you've probably smelt it haven't you via your research and once you get into oh yeah yeah you get a feel for it absolutely so the the play is called the motive and the cue the cue cue as in c-u-e cue as in c-u-e just give us a give us a minute on the title a minute (laughs) we just we're out of time oh gosh well that's too long i mean the it's it's a hamlet quote um and it kind of um i guess it's uh referring to the, the kind of two important things uh, within a role that um, that there is a very good Gilgood line and it written by Jack Thorne, which I won't be able to um, do justice sum up, to. But do justice to, but come and see it and then you'll and then you'll uh, hear it for yourself. Great. Yeah, Tuppence, great. And by the way, on researching you a bit today, I didn't realise that you're called Tuppence because that is what your grand used to call your mum. Yeah. Yeah. So gorgeous. Best name, real name, best name. Yeah, real name. Yeah, yeah. Lots of people think um, I made it up, which I think would have been crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great to see you. You too.